Welcome to Insight, I'm Philippa Tolley. This program explores the lingering mental health impacts of the Christchurch earthquakes. Five years after the cataclysmic Canterbury quakes, many there are still struggling to pick themselves up and move on. Details of the mental health side of the recovery are complex and not yet well understood. Some are doing well, but others are not, and children and teenagers are showing signs of distress. Canterbury is midway through what is expected to be a decade-long recovery at least post-quakes. While many are doing well and getting on with their lives, others are still battling stress, anxiety and depression. They're tired, and that includes the mental health specialists running a system that's coping extraordinarily well, but at capacity. They know there is a long way to go before what's known as the psychosocial recovery is complete. This is like a war for us here. It isn't like the bushfire in Australia or Hurricane Katrina, a few days and it's over. The latest large jolt in February this year brought it all home again. A lot of people were really, really, really shaken by that and we have certainly seen an increased number of people presenting now for help for the first time. What's new now, though, is the effect on young children and adolescents. It almost becomes that, well, if that can happen to me, what else out there is real? What else out there do I need to start worrying about? There are few international comparisons that let people know what to expect in terms of recovery generally from a large earthquake. So Canterbury is blazing a trail, moving on, but knowing they have at least the same distance yet to travel before the job is done. I'm Karen Brown, and this insight looks at mental health in our second biggest city. changed forever in Canterbury when the first big earthquake hit in September 2010. A 16-year-old high school student, Max Nichols, remembers it vividly, right down to the light in the room. I barely remember the original feeling of swaying or confusion, but I remember the exact shade of lighting in the room as I sat up in my top bunk. And I, I remember the look on Dad's face as he rushed in. Hard on the heels of this jolt came the February 2011 quake, not as large, but right under the city, causing 185 deaths. It's also etched in Max Nichols' memory. He was in the first term at a new intermediate school. I was wandering down the corridor on my own, thinking about lots and nothing much at all, when um, it started shaking and everyone started screaming. And um, I didn't matter a sound, but I just turned and held onto the doorframe and wondered if I was going to die. What stands out for him now is the sense of detachment he felt. Earthquakes at that time in my life were something that happened overseas. They were natural disasters that happened in other countries to other people in other stories, anywhere else but where you were then. It was, it was unreal. An expert in youth mental health, Sue Bagshaw, says that's no surprise and it's to do with part of the brain, known as the amygdala, which is linked to a range of emotions, including fear and anxiety. We used to think that people, once they've been through puberty, done and dusted, they're adults now. Then we got MRI scans and we realised there's a whole load of brain development that happens way beyond puberty. It's not that things in the brain get connected, more that they get activated. So in teenage times, the amygdala, which is your sense of emotion and feeling, especially in terms of, in fact, danger, 
your new ways of laying down memory are all really active in teenage times. Dr Bagshaw says when natural disasters happen, when a person's brain is even less developed, such as in the first three years of life, it is known to cause children to become hyper alert. She says it takes a long time to go, and experts are deeply worried it may well continue into the teenage years. You're triggered much more easily. So something that normally you'd be you know, quite laid back about and it wouldn't bother you at all, suddenly you can't cope. And your brain's going, ah, panic, 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 I can't do this. And it's just a minor thing, which you would have coped with all, all right. For his part, Max Nichols describes life now as fairly good. He's close to his parents with strong support, but he worries an awful lot. I worry about my friends and I worry about my family. I wonder what's going to happen to them and how they'll do, whether they'll be in 20 years' time, whether they'll be coping, whether they'll be happy or whether they won't be. Dr Bagshaw from the 298 Youth Health One Stop Shop says the earlier anxiety is addressed, perhaps through counselling, the better. Responsibility for monitoring social recovery was the job of the Canterbury Earthquake Recovery Authority, or CERA, before it was disbanded this year and the job picked up by the Canterbury District Health Board. It's collecting data to release an update in September of a wellbeing survey produced by CERA last June. The current wellbeing index indicates the number of people entering mental health services increased by 37% between 2010 and 2014. The bulk of the increase occurred from mid-2012. It suggests post-quake stress, such as managing repairs and rebuilds, living in a damaged environment and the loss of facilities and services may well have affected individuals' well-being. That was before the so-called Valentine's Day quake in February this year, which hit 5.7 on the Richter scale. Not as high as the other two huge tremors, but a massive mental destabiliser nonetheless. The Health Ministry's Director of Mental Health, John Crawshaw, told Parliament recently this latest quake was a game-changer. The advice that I had from the people in Christchurch and indeed through my colleagues who work in the psychosocial recovery space in the Christchurch, and I've been down there every month more than once, is that we were starting to see increasing concern amongst young people, hence why we targeted them in particular. A DHB public health specialist, Lucy Daith, is focusing on how well people in Canterbury are managing. She says the Valentine's Day quake revealed just how thin the veneer of recovery actually is. The number of people who didn't send their kids to school the next day, um, now that may have been because it was a hot night and uh, everyone had had a shake-up and they were just too tired and grumpy to go to school, but it may also have been because people were right back to that disaster mindset, I can't let my children out of my sight, which is, you know, I understand that mindset. So I think we, we struggled to make sense of that. You know, would a, a well community be one that can shrug through aftershocks? And many people can. It's just like, oh, I bet that was a 3.1. But to be honest... There is many people who are more afraid of aftershocks now than they were when they were happening all the time. A psychiatrist specialising in adults, Carolyn Bell, says this quake pushed over in an emotional sense some of those people who were seen until then to be coping the best and, in fact, propping up family and friends. It feels like it's just another aftershock, but a lot of people were really, really, really shaken by that. And we have certainly seen an increased number of people presenting now for help for the first time. 
Research specifically about the effects of the Canterbury quakes, especially on mental health and well-being, is still getting underway. Dr Bell says most people are doing all right and a minority only are struggling. People who are very socially isolated, not well connected, not well supported, certainly have been shown to have increased difficulties. People who have ongoing stress, again, much more likely to have increased difficulties. And of course this is where the whole area of the unresolved insurance, EQC claims, difficulties with building has really had a really important overlay in Canterbury. But what we found here as well was that about 50% of the people that we saw presenting with severe difficulties with post-traumatic stress disorder, they had no pre-existing mental health problems at all. They were very capable, very organised people, and they would often describe themselves as usually being the kind of rock of their social network, often in managerial roles, often very busy supporting other people. And then the earthquakes happened, and they really were terrified by their experiences at the time, and have really struggled to get back to functioning. Sarah Maindonald is a counsellor at two schools in Christchurch, including Teikura Kopapa Māori o Te Tahi in Spraydon, where these children, at the younger end of the 5 to 18 year age range, are jumping rope. She too believes the quakes have heightened stress levels for teenagers in particular. Some of the stresses that they might normally cope with adolescents have worsened, so families are more under stress, so students that might be having some rubs with their family anyway because it's their teenage years, they can become worse. Uh, families still are obviously under pressure in terms of insurance and housing issues and so I think that also provides an environment where family violence could be more likely to eventuate. Certainly kids there is more anxiety. She says she's noticing all this more now, five years on. The depression was almost more obvious. The first year of the earthquakes, I remember we had quite a group of senior boys who were quite depressed and ended up with mental health services uh, in a proportion that was very unusual. And then the following year we had a whole group of girls who were self-harming at a higher rate than usual. I think there's some generalised worry about the future that's increased. Sarah Maindonald, who is also on the National Executive of the Association of Councillors, says the struggles young people are facing are similar across all schools in the district. But I do think maybe more boys were um, starting to drink and drug to self-medicate, feeling worried. Yeah, sometimes not even in touch with what they're feeling, to be honest. With permission from parents, I spoke to students studying well-being or ho'ora towards NCEA about their impressions of the mental health stresses young people are facing. Adrian took the lead as the eldest in year 12. I reckon it's affected them not just physically but also um, mentally. As you can see now there's um, a lot of um, drugs going on in Christchurch with um, young kids. I think this was um, an effect of the earthquake. Yeah, I think they're taking drugs just as a way to suppress their minds, escape from the traumas they might have suffered during the earthquake. What are the main things associated with, with the quakes that have been stressful? Probably just the thought of the world's going to end. He feels well supported at the Kura and appears grateful. Well, we call it which means one family. And like, it is a small school, but um, it is really, um, like you can feel the spirit of everyone. Like they're loving, yeah, they're very encouraging towards others.
especially in times of desperate um, help. But he knows some lack that support. It shows in the way they, they, they communicate with you. They're not as confident and they're more shy to express themselves, sort of like scared to express their true emotions about issues, which I think relates back to the earthquake, reason why they, they can't communicate. Some of my friends, um, they have no parents, so, um, you know, joining a gang would be, I don't know, it's just like a feeling for them that's close to family. Herina, 15, came to the Kura recently from Auckland. Not surprisingly, for her, the main impact is the vastly different landscape. Yeah, like the roads and how the, the land is laid out is, like, obviously different. And how I, like, when, as I drive home, I see, like, all the missing houses and empty paddocks, yeah, like, fields, yeah. But she says she's fine. Te Kohurangi, 13, who's been at the Kura since she was five, has been thinking about what's important post-quakes. When the earthquake happens, you really need your family. You have to look after your body, your spirit and your mind. Sarah Maindonald says children are a good indication of a family's well-being. If your family's stressed because of poverty, housing, insurance settlements, employment changes, then children often do bear the brunt of some of that going on because, one, the parent's not as emotionally available, how could you be, really? And, two, if the parent's struggling to cope, they might be suffering from depression or they might be um, having to expend a lot of energy managing to survive, then there is less available. And sometimes children become very vigilant about their parents' well-being, so they actually won't talk to their parents because they, they know they're already under stress. She wants extra funding for more counsellors to help children where it's needed, in schools. There was some support, there was advice and guidance. They established a school-based mental health team, but they're not actually based in a school, even though that sort of suggests they might be. Um, but they're, they're currently working across about 70 schools and there's only a team of about four. So they're not, and they're not actually delivering face-to-face -face counselling. So my concern is the resource is very small for the need. I've come to Banks Avenue School on the edge of the now cleared and largely vacated red zone to meet the principal, Tony Burnside. She's another in the front line of managing and trying to help children troubled by the quakes and other issues. Our five-year-olds, we've noticed them coming to school with a lack of oral language, coming in, attachment disorders, so coming in not wanting to be away from um, bed wetting and soiling and that can go right through we've got nine-year-olds here who are coming down and have wet themselves and more so than in the past because there's always been one or two like with, with children like that but we're now seeing it on mass. She worries about a potential time bomb if more isn't done to help de-stress children. The school's about to begin funding its own social worker. One of the things that we really wanted to set up was a whānau room so because we know that that well-being is so important so we wanted a safe place for these kids to come in the morning to um, unload and leave all the baggage behind that, that they've got and to be able to unload and talk about what's working, what's not set them up so that they, then they could go into the classroom and we kind of pictured an hour a day kind of doing that but we got turned down for funding to be able to do that. How much did you want? 13000 this school would have paid for the year to have had somebody being able to do that. I asked Tony Burnside if she thinks the Wellington bureaucracy appreciates what schools like hers are up against. 
earlier this morning I've got this little boy and he's only well enough to be at school for um, 40 minutes a day and that's because of his mental and emotional needs and he's jammed in between he escaped from the learning worker who was working with him and he was jammed in, in our resource room between our big sliding shelves and we're standing there me and the learning assistant looking at each other and we went what would the minister do now <laughs> to encourage him to come out you know as you've been given your pedigree and he's swearing and ranting and knocking all the books down and, and at risk of being squashed by the shelving it's like hmm what would she do now <laughs> Our staff room is gone now. It fell, well, it didn't fall down. But it's Nearby, in the still damaged down. eastern side of the city, um, the principal of Shirley Boys High, John Lawrenson, has begun another 12-hour day. He insists it's not a chore. I don't think there's more than half a dozen schools anywhere around that could have been through what we've been through and have survived as well. Why do we survive? Culture was right and the feeling of support, the mutual respect for each other and support for each other, older and younger. He's fully absorbed in education, coaching sport and preparing for the school to move to a new site in 2019. He doesn't have complaints or special requests, but concedes he does worry about the ongoing effect of the quakes on the boys. When you have children, and I'm talking about boys aged 13 through 18 in your office, as I do in mine, or my counsellor's office, and they're in tears, when they find it hard to, um, to express what's going on inside the minds, when we have evidence that there's more children than ever um, who are taking antidepressants, um, they're under medication because of the health professional's advice, all of those are things that cause me alarm and cause me concern, yeah. The DHB's Clinical Director of Child, Adolescent and Family Services, Harith Swadi, says they expected more stress disorder straight after the quakes but didn't see it initially, which he puts down to home and school support. But two to two and a half years later, he says the batteries of those key sources of support had run out and by late last year there had been a 70% rise in the number of children under 18 needing help to cope. He says it's not so much mental illness as mental unwell-being. Symptoms that are suggestive of a lot of mental distress that needs support and intervention. So the anxiety, the inability to cope with stress. The kids who in the past have had no, no problems around exam times, we haven't really seen in the past a lot of kids needing help around exam times. Now we do. Demand for specialist mental health help has risen dramatically since the quakes, with 500 more adults and close to an extra 100 children being seen a month. The DHB says that from 2010 until last year, admissions to hospital increased by 11% for adults and 21% for those 16 to 30. And there was a 79% rise in new child and youth cases managed in the community. The General Manager of Mental Health, Tony Gushlag, says it's under control, but services are creaking. People should continue to seek help if they need to access services because they're available, but we are closely monitoring this and you know, moving funding and services around, uh, changing the way that we do things so that we can continue to respond in the way that we have been. Tony Gushlag says a recent steadying in demand for adult services hasn't yet extended to younger people. For child and youth, we aren't seeing that yet, and so we're extremely concerned about that, and it was great to get the additional funding so that we can increase our services, particularly for children and young people and their families. 
That said, everyone knows most pressure in a mental health sense is being felt in the community. That led to an extra $20 million in government funding over three years, announced in March, augmenting $86 million pledged since 2011. The DHB CEO, David Mates, says the latest boost will go into community services. What we're really wanting to make sure is that access from the community to mental health services is really as simple and straightforward as possible. Again, if we can get the connections, particularly someone in distress early on, with the right connections and interventions, we're more likely to make a really tangible impact and change to their lives. Any extra assistance can't come soon enough for a GP working in the hard-hit southeast of Christchurch, Jeremy Baker. We're fielding a broad spectrum of people from simple fatigue and stress and anxiety through to the worsening of chronic illnesses, homeless. We're seeing deportees coming back from Australia from their recent change in their policy over there and companies coming to us, perhaps increased workloads because of rebuild issues around Christchurch. So. It feels like in this practice, but with my colleagues across Christchurch, that sense of the burden, the snowballing. A Christchurch school threatened with closure is fighting to stay open and may take the education minister to court if she tries to shut the 136-year-old school. What was a site of heated protest three years ago is now tranquil. A community hub, an after-school programme and other uses now occupy the former Central City Phillipstown school buildings. Room 5 is home to creative Ultao Tahi, a group working with those who may be isolated and vulnerable. The leader, Kim Morton, says it's about creating more resilience and more relationships within the community, the heart of any city. We are responding to the levels of um, distress and illness following the earthquakes. But I think one of our strengths is that we're not kind of labelled mental health. We're focused on the creativity and um, there is still stigma around accessing mental health services, so we think that we're actually more accessible because of that. It's working well for a participant who we've agreed to call Colin. When I came out of mental hospital, everything came at me like it was muffled, like I was encased in cotton wool, and it was a struggle to fight my way out of it and make myself heard, and it was a struggle to get my thoughts in order and project what I, what I wanted to say. But when I came here, to be accepted by everybody as being that way was just a, an eye-opener, and after a while I stopped being that way because I was accepted. At the Canterbury Men's Centre, the manager, Donald Pettit, says men, often reluctant to appear vulnerable, are coming in for counselling at a rate of about 120 a week. There's additional pressures, there's um, lower quality housing that's still being used. People living as well, there's obviously those like myself that lost their house and are still going through some kind of adjustment period or still trying to settle up with the QC or their insurance company. Those are happening as well. But even those guys coming in, they're not focused on that. I think the way I explain it to myself is normally people operate on a 7 out of 10 in their stress levels. You know, they give themselves a little slack there to have a good life. But we just happen to have that dialed up to a 7.5, 8.5, somewhere in there. So that resilience isn't there as much. CEO David Mates says Canterbury is midway through the psychosocial recovery, but it's the hardest time and it's unrelenting. You don't have to scratch far beneath the surface to see, you know, kind of irritability, that sense of actually this is getting really, really hard. 
the challenge we have is again how we keep people engaged and motivated and that sense of actually has got an end point, this is going to get better. He agrees the recovery is far from even. Communities probably becoming more polarised, those that are doing really, really well, this is a fantastic place to be living, and those that are still struggling in court, trying to find a way to move forward. That view is shared by the strategist of the Mental Health Foundation's highly successful All Right campaign, Kieran Fox. We're seeing a divergence of, of recovery is what we're starting to see now. Those that have been able to you know, navigate the, the tricky times around post-quake stressors and issues of rebuilding and repairing and other things, and those that are very, have very complex situations and or were psychologically affected greatly by the quakes, and, and there was no predictors for any of this, really. So it's sort of a case of the, the deck being shuffled and, and only just really starting to get a picture on how the next five years are going to progress. Mr Fox says experts know the recovery's hit a tough patch. We're hearing reports about that from... Yeah, you mentioned GPs, but also schools, teachers and other, other people who are in those kinds of professions and who have been coping and doing so well for so long. Five years on, you know, we're starting to see some of the people who seemed fine starting to kind of, I guess, lose that energy and, and struggle. The Director of Mental Health at the Health Ministry, John Crawshaw, says health and other agencies are responding well to the ongoing pressures and there have been significant improvements. There are parts of the Greater Christchurch which are doing extremely well and are already showing a real positive sense of uh, moving ahead. But there are other parts, particularly those who are still struggling with um, their housing and so forth, who are under pressure and that we need to continue to work with. But how much are their mental health problems actually down to the quakes and not other issues? That's a question often encountered by the child and adolescent expert, Harith Swadi. This is the eternal question that everywhere we go, we get asked the same question. How are you different from the rest of the country? Everywhere it's increasing. There are two answers to that. One, it is increasing more in here than in the rest of the country. Yes, it is increasing in the rest of the country. And I think to some extent we should be pleased that it is increasing because it means... All those publicity campaigns and John Kerwin and all of that is actually working. There is less stigma and people are more accepting and there are more services. What is different in Canterbury than the rest of the country is very simple. The rest of the country didn't have an earthquake. It isn't like the bushfire in Australia or Hurricane Katrina a few days and it's over. It went on for three, four years and this is like a war. So the impact of a war doesn't disappear within a couple of years after. It takes sometimes generations. The DHB head of psychiatry, Sue Nightingale, says it's difficult to persuade people from outside the region that this isn't something that's gone away, even though years have passed. We certainly get the impression from the rest of the country, I guess the rest of the world, that we should really be over ourselves by now and we should just carry on business as usual, funding as usual, projects being piloted in Canterbury, these sorts of things. And I think the point is that we aren't actually over it. People are still grappling with insurance, um, results of earthquakes. We've got a city, you just need to work through it to see that it's not a proper functioning city. Dr Swadi says what's needed now in particular is hope. The minute people start to feel like that, they will start to feel better about themselves. There will be less stress, there will, there will be less demand on us. But at the moment, and for some time, that sense of hope is not there. 
No one doubts that hope will return, and hopefully for all in the community, but no one knows precisely when. I'm Karen Brown, and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to send any feedback, our email address is insight at radionz.co.nz, and we are on Twitter at InsightRNZ. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Philippa Tolley, with technical production by Mark Chesterman.